If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 13th chapter of the book of Jeremiah as we continue our study through the Word. So you remember that Jeremiah was the son of a priest called to be a prophet at a very young age and in a time when the culture was moving against the things of God. They had compromised, they had strayed, they had included idolatry. They were going to the temple, but they now were involved in, in all other kinds of, of pagan worship. And you'll remember that young Josiah was the king, and, and you'll remember that he reforms the, the, the nation. They start to, to tear down the idols. And, and you remember that the book of the law was found when they were cleaning out the temple. The temple had been in massive disrepair, and, and, and it is upon Josiah's heart to come and to rebuild the temple and to and clean it up. And as they're rebuilding the temple and cleaning it up, they come across the scroll of the law. They hadn't even had the law in their hands and they begin to read the law and, and suddenly there was great conviction and, and this followed now into a, a cleansing of the nation. But what started to happen is that the, the reform really was only outward. It hadn't really penetrated the, the hearts uh, of the people and, and so it was more of a, a superficial. They now had the temple. And what they believe now is because they had the temple that no one would be able to overthrow them because they repaired the temple and, and now they were putting their trust in the temple instead of putting their trust in the God of the temple. And we see that the Lord, last time we saw where the covenant was broken and God was speaking to his people about the fact that what, what have I done that you have now broken the covenant? Have, have I not been faithful? Have I not watched over you? Have I not blessed you? Have I not held up my end? And yet we see with all of God's faithfulness to the nation what what he received in return was faithlessness. And so we see the judgments uh, then declared upon the, the faithless uh, nation as uh, Judah had broken the covenant with her God. As we come to this 13th chapter, we see now that the Lord is going to instruct Jeremiah to uh, act out symbolically now the condition of the nation and the judgment that was to come. You see, outwardly they looked like they were reformed, but inwardly their hearts are, are far from God. I think it's a, such a great reminder for each and every one of us where we can get into the routine, we can get into the habit, we can get into the outward manifestations, but but our hearts are distracted. Our hearts are focused on other things. God wants your heart. He wants your worship, and he wants your intimacy with him above everything else. We can be concerned with our careers and jobs and pressures. We can be concerned with coronavirus and, and various different aspects of our life, but what God is concerned with is how you and he are doing. Everything else is just the circumstances in which you are living your life. And your life is being lived either pursuing the heart of God or pursuing other things with God being involved in your life but relegated to a position other than first place in your life. Make no mistake about it. God does not want second place in your life. Amen? He certainly doesn't want third, fourth, fifth, or sixth either. One place. Love God with what? All of your, all of your heart. He's worthy. He loves you. He's demonstrated his faithfulness to you. And, and he doesn't just want a surface and casual exterior. He wants an intimate, deep, abiding, personal relationship. Because what is heaven? A deep, personal, abiding, eternal relationship. And and so here we see that God's trying to get the attention of his people. And his people do not have ears, 
to hear. And, and as you hear the heart of God, you can see the frustration of someone that is deeply in love with somebody else who is not reciprocating that love. The hurt, the rejection as God pours his love, his care upon the nation and, and nothing he does. He sends warning, he sends prophets, they mistreat him, they ignore him, they cast him to the side. And, and here is young Jeremiah now being called by God. And, and you remember that he's told in the beginning, they're not gonna wanna hear what you have to say. But I, I've made you a fortified city. I made you an iron pillar, bronze walls. That's what you're gonna need to be able to stand up against a, a culture that is running away from God. That is what you and I have to be in a culture that is running away from God. An iron pillar, a fortified city, bronze walls, to be able to love God, to be able to reflect his beauty, his holiness, his righteousness, his glory to a world that is just consumed with themselves. And so God is going to try and get the nation's attention in a very visible way here. And, and we pick it up here in this 13th chapter in the first verse. And thus the Lord said to me, go, get yourself a linen sash and put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. So I got a sash according to the word of the Lord and, and put it around uh, my waist. Uh, here we see that God is having Jeremiah to perform this symbolic uh, action that the, the people are going to be aware of. And he is seeking to get their attention. And, and so God commands Jeremiah to buy a linen belt and to wear it around his waist. He's not to let it touch uh, the water. A, a linen sash or a linen belt, that was what the priests wore. And so again, they wore the linen sash and, and tied uh, that. And so there may be some significance to the fact that it is uh, linen. And so here is Jeremiah now, suddenly he has his normal garb and, and now everybody sees Jeremiah walking around with a, a linen sash on and it's like, why are you wearing that linen sash? What is that linen sash for? And, and so it, it became this outward sign that the people took notice of. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, Take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist, and arise. Go to the Euphrates and hide it there in a hole in the rock. And so I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. And so the Lord tells them to go on a journey, journey to the Euphrates River. That's about 350 miles away. That's a 700 mile round trip here. You couldn't call an Uber. You had to just figure out another way to get there. 700 miles. Now it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, arise, go to the Euphrates and, and take from there the sash which I commanded you to hide there. And then I went to the Euphrates and dug and I took the sash from the place where I had hidden it. And there was the sash, ruined. It was profitable for nothing. As he makes the return trip back to the Euphrates. Now, the Euphrates, that's where Babylon is. Ultimately, it's the Babylonians that are going to come and destroy him. And so he, he brings this, this glorious priestly sash now, and he, he brings it to the banks of the Euphrates. He, he buries it there. He returns back, and now the sash is just destroyed. Completely useless. And then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, in this manner, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. God interprets now the actions that Jeremiah is involved in. Jeremiah doesn't understand the things that he's doing. 
we see that all Jeremiah is doing is being obedient. He is just simply doing whatever it is that the Lord is doing. And then the Lord now is creating the illustration. He is creating the, the connection, the typology that is taking place. You'll remember how Moses was to smite the rock and then the water comes out and, and that rock being smitten was in Christ and the living water that flows forth. And, and you remember that, that God then tells Moses to go out and speak to the rock. Just speak to the rock and the rock will bring forth the water. But Moses is so upset with the people that he takes his staff and he smites it a second time and water comes forth and, and the people now are, are refreshed and rescued. But, but God says to Moses, Moses, come here. Did I tell you to smite it or did I tell you to just speak to it? He says, Moses, I was creating a, a whole illustration for my people about in Christ. Christ wasn't smitten twice. Christ was only going to be smitten once. And now you've smitten the rock twice. And, and see, Moses didn't understand what God was doing, but God was using him as his instrument to, now to build the portrait, to build the picture. And, and Moses took ink and ended up spilling it all over the portrait of what God was doing. And you'll remember that because of his disobedience, he's not allowed to lead the children into the promised land. He's allowed to see the promised land from a distance, Mount Nebo. And if you go to Israel today, you can stand there in Jericho and down in the Jordan Valley and you can see where, where the Israelites crossed over. And in the far distance, you can see the mountain of Nebo. You can see where Moses, looking backwards, standing in the promised land, you can see Nebo. And that was where Moses got to view the, the promised land. See, God is seeking to use us. He is seeking to, to build portraits of Christ, of, uh, of examples in our lives and, and testimonies in our lives that are going to minister to others. And, and what he's seeking to do is he's just seeking for obedient hearts, just an obedient heart. So oftentimes God wants us to do things and we don't understand why. We say, God, just tell us why and I'll do it. And he says, just do it and I'll tell you why. <laughs> he tells Jeremiah, do these things. I mean, God, really? I have to walk 700 miles. Can't we just do this at the Jordan River? You know, I mean, there's water. There's a river there. Why, why do I have to go walk 700 miles and then do it a, a, a second time? And, and, and we just see the obedience of Jeremiah. May we be obedient. Just be obedient. Lord, speak. Your servant's listening. Whatever you would have me to do, just speak to me. And so the Lord now tells him that, that it is in this manner that he's going to ruin the, the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. What's the great pride of Jerusalem? The temple. They now believed that just because they had cleaned up the house of God, that God now would protect uh, them. And so they missed the entire aspect that, uh, that God wanted their hearts, not just a building project uh, here. He says in verse 10, This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be just like this sash which is profitable for nothing. As now Jeremiah holds what was once this beautiful sash, he, he sees now that, that it is just destroyed. And God says, that's the picture of my people. You see, as the soul, from verse 11, it says, For as the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they would not hear. You see, the sash now was God's people and 
And you see, when it was worn around God, it, it was beautiful. The sash was glorified by the glory of, of God. But when the sash was now separated from God, the sash now just became a rotten piece of linen that was good for nothing. The nation, God's people, he, he was the one that had built them up and raised them up and watched over them and, and blessed them. And, and while they were connected to him, while they were around his waist, the, it, it was a beautiful sash of, of linen. But the people didn't want to be around the waist of God any longer. They wanted to be separated from God. And so God shows that, that when God's people are separated from God, this is, this is the result. They're profitable for what? Nothing. Nothing. Jesus made the same point. He said it a different way. He said that I'm the vine and you're the branch. And apart from me, if you're disconnected from me, you can do what? nothing you can accomplish nothing the only thing that you can accomplish are works in the flesh and any work in the flesh is not acceptable to God and so here we see that that God uses this illustration of the sash to talk about the abiding relationship the separation the disconnect the the consequences of uh, of being disconnected from God. And so Israel and Judah had, they had become ruined by departing from their God to serve false gods. And therefore you shall speak to them this word, verse 12, the next symbol that he gives to them. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, every bottle shall be filled with wine, and they will say to you, do we not certainly know that every bottle will be filled with wine? Here we see that, that God declares that, that the bottles are to be full of wine and go and tell people that. And, and Jeremiah, you know, his, his response as he tells the people that is, of course, you know, the wine speaks of joy and prosperity. And, and so God is going to bless the land. Look at, we cleaned up the temple. We've got our act together. Of course, God is going to wonderfully bless us uh, now. And, uh, and so do we not certainly know that every bottle will be filled with wine? And then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will fill all the inhabitants of this land, even the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests and the prophets and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with drunkenness. We see the empty jars represented all who lived in the land, including the, the leaders and the priests, and, and God was going to fill them with a, with a drunkenness, with a, a symbol of judgment. And he says in verse 14, And I will dash them one against another, even the fathers and the sons together, says the Lord, and I will not pity nor spare nor have mercy, but will destroy them. The bottles, the, the jars, the clay pots are now going to be brought together and they're going to be smashed. And what will happen? All of the wine will be lost. All of the joy will be lost. All of the prosperity and wealth and gladness of heart will all be destroyed. And, and so here we see that the false prophets are declaring that uh, that God's blessing is upon us and, and we've cleaned up the temple and God is going to defend his city and God is going to defend his house. And, and God says, no, you are far from me. Your hearts, you're worshiping false gods. Your makeover was exterior only. It wasn't to the heart. In verse 15, hear and give ear. Do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. He says, give ear and, and hear. Listen to the voice of the Lord. 
And he says, and do not be proud. Why does he connect those two? Because a proud heart is not a heart that's going to hear the voice of, of God. A proud heart is self-exalted. You remember that pride was the very first sin that ruined God's creation. It wasn't here upon the earth. It entered into the heart of Satan. And he wanted to be worshipped like God. He wanted the praise. He wanted the glory. And he exalted himself. And so pride. And, and here we see that now the, the pride is what stops us from being able to hear the voice of God. You see, we are busy either building the kingdom of God in our life, in our heart, or we are busy building our kingdom. And so we are building one or the other in, in our lives. And you'll remember that Jesus had said that a servant can't serve two masters. You can't be building the kingdom of God and concerned about the kingdom of God and thinking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God in your heart, the kingdom of God of crucifying the flesh, being yielded to the spirit and seeking to advance the kingdom and the people that are around you, handing out in cups of water in Jesus' name. You, you cannot be busy about your father's business and then trying to make yourself famous at the same time and trying to build your own fame and your own life and your own influence. You're, you're either seeking to trust God advance the kingdom of God here in the heart of every single person or you're living your own life, doing your own thing, trying to accomplish your own goals and objectives. When Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what, and all of these other things, they're going to be added to you. God knows that you need rent. He knows that you need clothes. He knows that you need food. Jesus says, does not my father take care of the, the birds of the air? Are you not more valuable than they? Seek the kingdom. Advance the kingdom in your heart and allow God to build through you. And, and so here we see that though there was a, uh, an outward manifestation, the inward disconnect was there. And, and here Jeremiah pleads with them, hear, listen, give ear. Don't let pride keep you from hearing the voice of God. Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness and before your feet and stumble on the dark mountains. And while you're looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes it dense and darkness. Now, darkness and dark clouds and the uh, Old Testament and the scriptures are oftentimes a picture of impending doom. And so here we see that Jeremiah is begging the people. He's saying, Se seek the voice of the Lord while it's still light time before the darkness of judgment comes. Because when the darkness of judgment comes, you will be stumbling on dark mountains. You'll be looking for light. But it'll be the shadow of death. But if you will not hear it, verse 17, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. The Bible tells us that pride comes before the fall before destruction. And so and here he says, if your pride will keep you from listening, will keep you from turning, then most assuredly I will weep over your pride because Jeremiah knows exactly what the consequence of their pride is, is going to result in. Jeremiah has a picture of a ruined sash. God's precious people because of pride because they have exalted self they have departed from the intimacy and communion and fellowship with with God and and now fresh in his mind the the ruin destroyed and sash of uh, of God's and people he says my soul will weep in secret for your pride 
my eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. The Babylonians will come and take God's people just like a flock and they will be taken from the land. Say to the king and to the queen mother, humble yourselves, sit down, for your rule shall collapse the crown of your glory. The cities of the south shall be shut up and no one shall open them and Judah shall be carried away captive, all of it. It shall be wholly carried away and captive. He now exhorts the, the king and the and queen mother this is probably Jehoiachin, and the queen mother was Nashusta, the widow of Jehoiakim. And so you had the son and the mother. He was young, 18 years old when he takes over. He rules for three months before the Babylonians come in and, and take them. Humble yourselves. Lift up your eyes and see those who come from the north. Where is the flock that was given to you, your beautiful sheep? What will you say when he punishes you? For you have taught them to be chieftains, to be head over you. Will not pangs seize you like a woman in labor? Jeremiah urges the, <clears throat> the leaders to look at the armies that are going to be coming from the north who would remove the flock that had been entrusted to them. They were the shepherds and the leaders of the flock. And at night, the shepherd would be required to give an account for all of the sheep. If there was one missing, the, the good shepherd leaves the 99 to go and to find the, the one lost lamb. What will you say when you've lost your entire flock? Not one. He lost all of them that were entrusted to your care. The flock was the nation of Israel entrusted to the leaders, kings and the priests and the prophets. And all of them are going to be taken now into captivity. And will not pangs seize you like a woman in labor? And if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me for the greatness of your iniquity? Your skirts have been uncovered, your heels made bare. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. When the judgment comes, you're going to ask why. Why did this great calamity happen? They never saw it coming, and yet Jeremiah has been blowing the, the siren, clanging the alarm, trying to wake the nation up from its slumber, from its stupor. And, and when they ask the question why, the answer is because of your iniquity, the greatness of your iniquity. It says your skirts have been uncovered. Here we see now that, uh, that God speaks of the lewdness uh, of their idolatry, of their adultery with the other gods now as a, a woman who is exposed in, in public now, their sin that was so secret and private now, exposed for all to see. Therefore, I will scatter them like stubble that passes away by the wind of the wilderness. This is your lot, the portion of your measures from me, says the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. God would scatter the people into exile like chaff blown in every direction by the wind because you have left me and trusted in falsehood. Some trust in horses and others in chariots, but we'll put our trust in the name of the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your 
own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path but they started to trust in themselves that's pride then they began to trust in all the other pagan gods that's spiritual idolatry and and now the iniquity piled uh, up and and god says it's judgment time and therefore i will uncover your skirts over your face that your shame may appear i have seen your adulteries and your lustful neighings the lewdness of your harlotry your abominations on the hills and the fields woe to you o jerusalem will you still not be made clean will you still not repent because as i i see your actions you're not fooling anyone it's like the husband that's having the affair on his wife and thinks that he's so clever and and so smart and she knows his heart has departed from her she can see it in a thousand different ways. She can feel it and watches it as he pretends and goes through the, the sham, brings her flowers and candy and, and takes her on trips and, and the whole time. She doesn't want candy. She doesn't want trips. She doesn't want gifts. She wants a faithful husband that loves her. And here they were the nation bringing sacrifices to the temple and, and coming and singing their and songs. And, and the whole time their heart is so far from God. God says, I, I see what you're doing. Do you, do you think that I don't know what you're doing up in the hills? How you're bowing down to all these other gods? Do you think that, that I'm not aware of it? I am aware of it and your sin will be exposed and there will be consequences. Will you still not be made clean? Will you still not stop? Will you just stop? I will take you back if you will repent, if you will confess, if, if you will turn your heart back towards me. I know what you're doing. Will you stop? Will you not be made clean? You can hear the broken heart of God for his people. In chapter 14, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. Now once again, the God would bless the nation, it said that he would bless them with the early rains and the late rains and that he was leading them into the land that flows with milk and honey, rich verdant hills and pastures and, and all. But God, when he was judging the nation, would withhold the rain and drought would come in and, and that would impact them economically right in their pocketbook and sometimes when god strikes the pocketbook people wake up <laughs> and look up and so god will use every single means impossible in order to get our attention he loves us so much and he knows that your best interest is is to draw near to him he is the one that provides and protects and blesses and and the further that you go away from him the worse the quality of your life becomes and his love for you it hurts him to watch you choosing a lesser life than he would have for you it hurts every single parent when they watch their children make decisions that you know where it's going to lead them. You know it is a path to trouble and hardship and difficulty. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. I know what I'm doing. And you're like, you don't have no idea what you're doing right now. But you will. And then they come back crying, oh, I can't believe what happened. And their lives are a wreck, right? And you take no satisfaction in going, well, I told you. <laughs> I, I knew this was going to happen. There is no consolation in the fact that you knew that this was going to be the outcome. 
There's no consolation in God when he sees you suffering and hurting because of your own bad decisions. He knew the outcome. And he loves us so much that he tries to keep us from those bad decisions that that are going to reap consequences in our lives. But he also at the same time gave us free will. So while he will warn us and, and, and try, he will not violate your free will. And so, drought, economic hardship, he stops pouring out the blessings uh, on them, tightens the spigot a little bit that, uh, that they might look up and they might wonder and they might evaluate their relationship with God. Verse 2, Judah mourns and her gates languish. They mourn for the land and the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. Their nobles have sent their lads for water. They went to the cisterns and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads because the ground is parched for there was no rain in the land. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. And so, one of the covenant curses that God had threatened if they were disobedient in the land was drought. And so, here we see the they had rejected the living water for false cisterns and, and now they are ashamed. Yes, the deer also gave birth in the field, but left because there was no grass. And the wild donkeys stood in the desolate heights. They sniffed at the wind like jackals. Their eyes failed because there was no grass. The drought also affected the animals. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. Oh, the hope of Israel, his Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land and like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man astonished, like a mighty one who cannot save? Yet you, O oh Lord, are in our midst and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Though God has the power to help, he doesn't answer the people's plea for rain. He was acting like a, a stranger or a traveler that had no real concern for the country just passing through. And so because of his lack of action, the the people pleaded with him not to forsake them. Thus says the Lord to this people, thus they have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet and therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will remember their iniquity now and punish their sins. We see instead of now receiving their confession, we see that God now points out their waywardness. He knows that their confessions are just superficial. They're crocodile tears. They're, they're the caught with the hand in the cookie jar and, and, and now you're upset about the consequences in your life but not the behavior and the relational component. They claimed God as their Lord, but they refused to restrain their feet from following evil. Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for this people, for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by the pestilence. And so... Here again, we see that God tells Jeremiah not to pray for the people. They would fast and offer burnt offerings, hoping to appease uh, the Lord and avert his wrath. 
hoping to appease God so that he sends the rain so that why they have prosperity again and they can continue their they're suffering the consequences of the sin, but they're not missing God. They're missing the, the blessing of God. It is always a problem when we care more about the blessings of God than we do God. And then I said, ah, Lord, God, behold, the prophets say to them, you shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine but I will give you assured peace uh, in this place. Jeremiah uh, reminds God that the false prophets are running around telling them the exact opposite of what he has just been told by God to speak to the people. And then the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing in the deceit of their heart. We see here that the Bible tells us to test all things against the scriptures, to be like Bereans. There are many false religions. There are so many false teachers. There is so much false doctrine. People that come and declare the word of the Lord and I've received a word from God and, and they start these followings and people follow after them, these cults, and they stand up and they, and, and they claim things that God's never, ever said. God says, I never sent them. They're not representing me. They're prophesying lies. It is so important that you be grounded in the word of God the word of God, the word of God, the word of God, and detest every single thing that anybody says. Every pastor, every evangelist, every person that speaks for God on behalf of God and on spiritual matters, test every single thing against the word of God. For there is no shortage of false doctrine, false teachers, and cults, and in false religions, there is just simply not a shortage of it. What there is a shortage of is the word of God in our land. There is a famine in our land for the word of God. And so Jeremiah is saying, but look at what everybody else is saying. And, and God is saying, they're not speaking on my behalf. And therefore, thus says the Lord, verse 15, concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send, and who say, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. I always am amazed when I hear false teachers and false prophets. I, I always just have a check in my spirit, and I say, have you no fear of God? <laughs> You, you are going to stand before God one day and every single time you said God said this and God said that, you are misrepresenting God and I, I fear for you. Because the Bible clearly says don't add to it and don't take anything away from it. This is what God has said. God says to those people that say I'm not going to send famine and sword, they're going to perish by their own words. Out of their own mouth, the judgment is going to come upon them. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and they will have no one to bury them, them, nor their wives, their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour their wickedness on them. God would judge them for their lies, both the false prophets and all those who followed after them. And therefore, you shall say this word to them, let my eyes flow with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people has been broken with a mighty stroke and with a very severe blow. If I go out to the field, then behold, those slain with the sword, and if I enter the city, then behold, those sick from famine, Yes, both prophet and priest go about in a land they do not know.
And so he pictures the, the city, Jerusalem, as this virgin daughter who has suffered now a mortal wound and, and Jeremiah grieving over her loss. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Has your soul loathed Zion? Why have you stricken us so that there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, but there was no good. And for the time of healing, and there was trouble. The people here again are addressing God. They're pleading for his intervention. They were puzzled as to why God would afflict them, why he would allow such hardship upon them. And yet in verse 20, we not acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. They are so thickly distanced from God that they cannot understand the consequences that they are experiencing. They know that their sin is great, but yet they think that God is just going to brush their sin aside. They're falling upon the, the gracious nature of God. God is long-suffering and he's, and he's gracious. And so God, we're just, we're asking you to be gracious with us now, but God is gracious to an extent. He is long-suffering to an extent. He allows time to repent. He allows time to, to change our course of action and draw near to him. But, but we see that we cannot continue down a path uh, in our sin and continue to ask God for forgiveness and just keep on continuing in the sin. There is sin and then there is transgression. Transgression is premeditated sin. It's the planning on sinning. It's making an appointment with your sin. And this is what is happening. The people are transgressing. To sin is an oops. It's, it's falling. I'm trying not to, but, but I've sinned. I've fallen short and God forgives that. But when you know that this is against God and this is sin and then you plan on doing it anyway, it's no longer an oops. <laughs> you have purposed in your heart that you want your sin more than you want the heart of God. And so they have transgressed and now they're just asking for forgiveness for their transgression when there's been no repentance whatsoever and judgment now comes and they're like, God, how can you be judging us? We're, we're your people. Do not abhor us for your name's sake. Here they're asking now for God not to judge them because of his goodness. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. You see, they were trusting in the temple. They were trusting in the covenant. They were trusting in, in God not to bring judgment to, upon them. Are there any among the idols of the nations that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? And therefore we will wait for you, since you have made all these. We see that their appeal for God's help was based on his personal character, his temple, and his covenant. And they finally admit the worthless idols that they have been bowing down to could not bring the rain to end the drought. Whenever we pursue idols of any type, whenever we put anything in front of God, that's an idol, we will end up with a drought in our life. You see, sin always promises refreshment, fun, quality of life, and the fullness of things, but it is a liar. And what it brings is leanness to the soul, and it brings a drought 
into your life until finally like the prodigal who thought, oh my goodness, the world is out there. I've got money. I can live it up. And he takes his money and he goes out into the world and thinking that he is going to be satisfied and fulfilled, he finds himself ultimately giving slop to pigs as a servant. Living worse than a servant in his own father's house. What was he pursuing? He was pursuing fulfillment. And what did he get? Drought in his soul. Sin always, always, always lies. It always lies. It always will bring us to an impoverished, drought-ridden state of soul. But here is the glorious truth. Jesus Christ has overcome sin. He is the living water that takes and refreshes and, and brings back to, to life. Every single thing that, that we have lost, we, we serve a, a loving, restoring, redeeming, forgiving God who is gracious, gracious, gracious. And so my encouragement is to know how much you're loved to examine your own heart, your own life, to seek a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. Nothing is better than him. There is nothing that is better than a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The world will lie. The enemy will lie. Your flesh will lie. But Jesus Christ never lies. He is the truth. He is our life. He is the fullness of life. And you are loved. You are loved. You are loved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, Lord, that reveals in truth, that reveals our own hearts, our own lives, your goodness, your long-suffering. We see the, the depth of your love. And we see the extreme measure that, that you went to to get the attention of a backslidden nation of people who had turned their backs on you and had departed and you chased them, called to them, wooed them. And God, we, we thank you for the way in which you have shown yourself mighty. God bless us, refresh us, Lord. Set our feet upon the rock. And Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.